You're listening to Academic Gig, Episode 5. Academic Gig is a podcast for current and aspiring academic creatives, freelancers, and entrepreneurs. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials, sign up for our email list, and share your ideas for episode topics at academicgig.com. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Katie. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. I'm excited to check in with you and see what's been going on in your business lately. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy couple of weeks for me. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that, that I've been struggling a lot with is this whole idea of getting balance back into life. I know in one of the, the last uh, podcasts that we, we did, I talked a lot about, you know, being pretty militant in my um, making sure I had off time. That's been a little bit not ideal lately. Uh, mm. And so for me, it's been a lot of figuring out how to take a step back and um, deal with putting, putting up some boundaries around my time, even if that means I'm not checking all the things off my to-do list, which as a type A is really, really hard. That so, is hard. Yeah, that's where I am. Uh, how are things with you? What have you been working on? So um, I, this is, I think, a good topic for a future episode. I mentioned in a previous episode that I've been working through this Rock Your Web Design business course. And one of the things that they asked um, for like homework is to create these pricing pages of one of your services. And this is like a PDF document. It's kind of like a set of slides, like uh, PowerPoint slides, but it, it works um it walks your clients through a bunch of information about the different packages you offer. There's pricing information on there. They learn about your team. If you have a team, you know, who they're going to be working with, that kind of thing. And it's the kind of document that you send to people after you have an initial call um, to kind of see if they're a good fit to work with you. And so I actually spent some time creating a version of this um, for my website creation services. And it was really interesting and super helpful and helped me to kind of um, think very carefully about what we're going to be offering. And I think I'm going to create these pages for several of the other services that I offer um, because I think it's just useful to be able to have something that you can send clients and also create something really systematic for your business. So I think that there's definitely a topic in a future episode about how can we create systems for our businesses that helped us to have the kind of time that you're talking about where it feels more balanced and we're not like constantly creating things from scratch to send to people. Um, so I'm very, that, I'm thinking a lot about that these days. Yeah, that that's really relevant to me too. I, there are constantly times where I get emails or requests from people and I'm like, I really wish I had a system for this. And I'm really excited to uh, learn a little bit from you as well about how, how that all works out for you on, on your business uh, side of things. So yeah, it takes time. But my sense is it's one of those things where if you put in the upfront time, it's totally worth it on the back end. Mm -hmm. um, and like so many things <laughs> in our <laughs> academic lives, it's if true. you plan the course out really well, it's going to go well when you teach it. Indeed. Um, yeah. So what is our topic for today? Well, today we're talking a little bit about fear. So what are our biggest fears for our businesses? And uh, this is something that I think everybody struggles with to varying degrees. Um, I think some people are better at kind of compartmentalizing fear and dealing with fear than others. Um, I will be honest and say that, of course, my biggest fear uh, as somebody who's recently jumped full time into self-employment is failure. What if this thing doesn't work, you guys? What if it just goes down in a fiery blaze of glory? Um, it, that's a hard thing for me to to kind of grapple with on a daily basis. And so I do have to kind of push it off to the side a little bit um, mm -hmm. when I'm in the weeds. 
Um, and one of my friends gives me a really hard time about this because um, uh, he, he says, you know, there's no data to support that you're going to fail here. Like you, you always manage to pull things off and, and keep all the balls in the air. And you're, you're very good at that. And you've figured out ways to, to be successful in the things that you're doing. At which point my response is always like, yeah, but what if this is the time I can't do that? <laughs> what then? Um, at which point he rolls his eyes at me. It's, it, it works out well. But um, but I think that fear is is really real for a lot of people. Maybe maybe some of our listeners out there are feeling that way too, that, um, that, that what if it all falls apart? What if this is the time I can't keep all the balls in the air and I can't, uh, I can't keep it all going. So that's when I think about fear, that's kind of, that's kind of my biggest one. Um, what about you, Katie? Well, I want to dig into yours a little bit more before we get into mine. All right. I've got questions. So <laughs> I, I, when I think about fear, I think sometimes it's super nebulous. Like yep. we have these fears. And so like when you say it's going to fall apart and go down in this, you know, blaze of flaming glory, like what, what does that mean exactly? Like, are you homeless on the street? <laughs> are you like, you know, everybody yeah. thinks that you're an imposter and so nobody wants to hire you? Like, I mean, not to like plant these seeds that are going to give you additional fears, but like. <laughs> you're trying to give what, me a complex. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm actually really not. But I'm, I'm curious, like, what does it mean? Because I think that when, and I would ask this of our listeners too, like, if this is a fear that you have what exactly does it mean? Like, does it mean that you're not going to have enough money to pay your mortgage? Does it mean that like, you know, your kids are going to be living in a car with you? Like what, what exactly is that fear of, you know, when it falls apart, what does it look like? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And that's one that, that, um, people that I talk to about this have always asked me, you know, what, what does that mean for you? I think for me, the failure is in that I've promised myself and the people that I care about that I am going to do this thing. And even if I try my hardest and do my best work, if I still can't manage to do this thing in the way that I have wanted to, in the way that I have dreamt I would, that's failure. So Mm. if I'm not able to maintain this self-employed status as long as I want to, um, and, and on my terms, then to me, that feels like failure. And I recognize that like, I could go out and get another job at some point, and I might do that at some point, but I want that to be on my terms. And so if I'm not able to secure the clients that I need and get the the gigs that I need in order to make this work long term, um, then that feels like I failed at this and not and and have to kind of get forced into making a decision uh, about my career and about my business that's not on my own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's what it is for me. I, I'm not I'm not worried about, you know, as much about the financial side of it. I'm not as much worried about like I'm not going to end up homeless on the street, as you said, like I can pay my mortgage, I can do those things. And I have other ways to do that, right? Like I could go get another job if I needed to. I'm not super concerned about that. But I think for me, it's more about these goals and these um, hopes and dreams that I've set for myself. And so if I can't, you know, can't see fulfillment in those and can't reach those in the ways that I want to and in the ways that, that make me feel fulfilled, that that's, that's failure for me. So I think how you've just described that is what very tied to my biggest fear, Mm. which is that I'm going to be trapped. Oh, interesting. I'm going to get trapped into something that I really don't want to do. And whether that's like full-time work 
it, I mean, this is a more general fear, just, it, but it, I think it does tie to my business, like that I'm going to be in a situation where I'm doing something like for, for making money for something that I do not like, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to like dread it. And I've been in that situation before and have just gotten myself out of it. Like after I've been in a job for a long time and it's starting to feel pretty stale and I'm not wanting to go to work every day, you know, like that kind of thing. And I know you have experienced this too, Sarah, where, you know, you need to get out of that situation. Um, And I, so I think that that's my concern with my business is I'm going to somehow make a wrong turn with Mm -hmm. it and I'm going to like offer a service and everyone's going to love it. And I'm going to become known for that thing. And I'm going to be like, Oh my God, this is not what I want. You know? So I'm trying to be really careful about as I'm offering new stuff, because I'm offering a lot of new stuff. I'm like experimenting with a lot of stuff right now to remind myself that like, you cannot offer this at any time. Yeah. I mean, like you can, you can change gears. You can like, I think we get stuck in this feeling of like, we don't have these choices, you know, like Mm -hmm. I could pick up and move to another state, like right now, if I wanted to, you know, like I could quit my job, I could, you know, find another job, I could move to Kansas, like whatever. I mean, if I wanted to do that, I could, I am not planning on it just for listeners who are interested, but, (laughs) um, you know, I, I think we think like, oh, you know, we get tied down with our mortgages and our families and we're geographically bound. And we just, we kind of think we don't have the kinds of choices that actually we do. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it would be hard. It wouldn't be hard to make those choices. So, but I think that's my fear is that I'm going to get kind of trapped into a situation where I'm unhappy. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a really, yeah, that's, that's a salient one for me too. I think that that's definitely a, a concern, especially as I'm thinking about growing my business and growing for sustainability, because I think sometimes the things that you can get paid for are not necessarily the things you want to get paid for. That's <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. there sometimes is a difference between what you want to be doing and what people will pay you to do. And I think that there's a, there's a tension there. Um, for me, especially, I love um, the initial thinking through about how to grow a thing. And a lot of uh, a lot of things that I am kind of dabbling in and being a part of, like, there's not money in the initial startup phase, right, for a lot of a lot of these things. And so, though, that's where I get a lot of my energy. I can't put all my time and energy there because mm. I can't get paid for that usually or or not in ways that would be sustainable. And so I hear you on the getting boxed in and also thinking about, okay, how do I grow this business sustainably um, by by still doing the things I want to be doing and the things I know I'm good at, but not getting boxed into the the areas that I know I can get paid for, even if they're not the things that, that bring me the most joy. So mm-hmm. I definitely hear you on that one. <laughs> okay, so I have a question because I think that one of the fears that I struggle with is when I'm starting to think about doing a new thing in my business, like offering a new service or giving a new talk or something like that, sometimes I feel a lot of resistance to that thing. And like a good example of this, I'll just, you know, put it out there is when I started to think about helping people with website creation. And this is because people were asking me, do you help people do, do this thing? You know, like they saw my websites, they wanted one and they were like, do you do this? And initially I was like, no, I do not. You know, like I am not a web designer and I didn't know anyone else to refer them to. That was the problem. Like, I don't know anyone who specializes in working with academics. So if you are listening to this and you do that, let me know, because I would love to have a people that I can refer to, even though I'm doing this now myself, you know, I think it's important for us to be connected to each other and and be cross referring anyway. 
so I, I had this thing and I was like setting it up and I, I have a system now that I, I work with people like in a very specific way because I do not identify as a web designer. And so if you ask me to build a website in Squarespace, I won't do it. You know, like if you ask me to do something like outside of a WordPress content management system, I won't do it. You know, like I have very specific ways that I do this because that's where my skill set is. Mm. But I had this conversation with my partner, who is my partner in life and my partner in business, because I brought him into this because he does a lot of the back end web work. Like that is not my area, but it is his area. Like he's very good about, you know, like security and helping people purchase domain names and like all those kinds of things that are like the the kind of back end logistics of a website. And at one point I was like, I'm not sure I want to do this. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm not sure I want to design websites for other people. And he's like, well, you know, this is a big part of how he's involved in the business. So obviously he cares about this. And, but we had this conversation and what it helped me to realize is I'm scared of it. Mm. You know, like, it's not that I don't want to do it because I actually really enjoy the process of walking people through this because it's a coaching process of what do you want out of the website? How do you want people to feel about the website? You know, like, what does this website mean to you? What are the goals that you're hoping it will accomplish for you? Like, I think professional websites are so important to people's professional identities online. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, it's just such a key thing. And, you know, people are so like, not sure where to start with it, especially if they've never done it before. And like, I definitely want to be the person who can help them to do that. But it's also really scary because I don't identify in that way. I Mm. do not have formal web design training. Like I've picked up a lot of stuff as I've done it myself. I've built like a dozen websites for myself in lots of different platforms and all these different things. Um, But there was just this moment of like, I'm not sure other people are going to find me credible to do this. Mm. And so I feel like, and this is not the only time I've had this feeling, but it's a version of imposter syndrome where you're really just kind of questioning your own credibility. And I think there's a little kernel of truth in there because there are other people who can design websites in their sleep. And I'm not one of those people. Like it, it's not easy for me, you know, to do all of these things. But when I talk with other designers, they say, you know, like, yeah, it takes me like, you know, five iterations to make sure I get it right or whatever. Like, you know, like we're all kind of like creating in different ways and it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, as easy as I think it is. Anyway, I feel like this is a long way of saying, you know, like when you're offering something new, it can, you, there can be a lot of fear associated with that. And the easy route is just to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that thing. Yeah. So a follow-up question for you about that. Um, and you, you kind of hit, hit on it already, but this idea of imposter syndrome, how much do you think that our fears about the things that we're offering or, or about our businesses in general are based on our perception of what other people's perception of us is. <laughs> you know, it's sort of that, what do we think that other people are thinking about us and how does that color the way that we think about our own business and our own work and the fears associated with it? So this is, so I've been thinking about this a lot because I have a new offering that is actually tied to an area that I feel super confident in and mm. that's writing and publishing. And mm-hmm. I have this webinar offering. And it's not selling right now, at least as much as I would like. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I think it's a timing issue. I started offering it in the summer, you know, academics aren't back yet. I mean, there's, you know, there's all kinds of things that I'm like, I can attribute this to, but I don't feel an imposter syndrome at all, Hmm. you know, because I'm like, I am the person to offer this. And I know that if you come into this, you are going to get value. Like Mm -hmm. there is no question in my mind that if you buy this webinar series, it is going to be way more like you're going to get way more out of it than what you're paying for, like the Mm -hmm. way that it's priced and all these things. And so it's actually 
really interesting to experience what other people might call like a failure. And I don't think it's failed yet. Like the it's we're still waiting to kind of see what happens with this. I'm right in the middle of it. But like, let's say nobody buys this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm not coming at it from this angle of like, oh, this is really making me question who I am. Yeah. You know, like offering this thing. I'm more like, okay, so these tactics didn't work. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do about that? You know, like what, how could I have done this differently? What is it about my messaging? What is it about how I push this out? Like whatever. And it's like, it's such an interesting place when the fear is not there. Mm -hmm. Because you just get really granular about like, okay, let's like dissect this thing and figure out what's going on. And it's refreshing. I mean, it's still frustrating and annoying. And I'm like, why isn't anyone buying this thing? <laughs> um, you know, like, it's not like it's a walk in the park, but it's giving me a window on, you know, like when you don't have that feeling of imposter syndrome, it does clarify, like it like clears out all this other crap so that you can look and like really, you know, from like a more objective place why is this working or not working? So it's a, it's a weird comparison because I have stuff where I'm afraid and I have stuff where I'm not. And I can really see how the fear blinds you in some ways. Well, and, and my question back would be, if it were the web design part that was failing, would you take that more personally and say, well, it must be because people don't think I'm qualified to do this? Yeah, that's not, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I think that there's, <laughs> Well, and I, I, it's interesting because, um, yeah, I mean, cause I, I, the, the smartest question you can ask someone who is going to design a website for you, if you're going to be putting out money to have someone design a website for you, the smartest thing you can ask them is what's your portfolio? Hmm. You know, like where are the other websites you've designed that I can see and that are live and that I can go play around with and see, you know, if I like the design, if they're functioning well, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I had a client recently ask me that question and I had anticipated that. So I have a portfolio that I can share out and you can see it on my website. There's videos like walking you through different websites I've done and stuff like that. But it's one of those things where it's like, you have to kind of anticipate what is, what's the proof. And there's so many people out there that are like, oh yeah, I do this, that, or the other thing. But when you're like, who have you done it for? You know, like, what do your clients say about you? Or what's the product? Or what's the outcome that I can expect based on your past experience of doing this? I think that the hardest thing is when you're just starting out, and you don't have that yet. Yep. I was you just know, gonna like, say, what yeah, happens like then? You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so this is why I've gotten really into like piloting stuff. And like, like when I did the website creation services, I piloted it with three people for free. I did complimentary websites for them. I'm actually still in the process of doing a couple of those. And, but it, I, I was able to test out my coaching and like really see, does this work? You know, like I think it will, but let me actually do it with three real people. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a portfolio of stuff. And I, that was like one of my summer projects was to build up that portfolio. And it gave me confidence. Mm -hmm. But that's a long game approach. I mean, like, that's like, I'm not just putting out a service. It's I'm going to test the service. And I'm going to talk to people and make sure it works. And I'm going to get some testimonials and you know, all these different kinds of things. And some people don't have the luxury mm -hmm. of the time to do that. Um, but I do think it's a smart move because it not only gives you confidence in yourself, but it gives you stuff that you can talk to other people about to say like, yeah, I've actually done this thing. I'm not just like, you know, saying I can do it. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that because um, when I first started doing some side consulting when I was still at, at my full-time position, um, 
we had to do a lot of the work, the initial work pro bono, partly because of that. We didn't have a whole lot of background to speak to, especially in in doing this specific kind of consulting. And so it was a lot of like, sure, we can come do this thing for you if you're willing to take a chance on us. And, you know, we have research experience, we have experience in this type of work, but we haven't done it in this environment before, right? We haven't done it in this way before. So if you're willing to let us come in and kind of try this thing, um, you know, we'll do it for you for much cheaper or even for free. Uh, and that actually is a great way to get some initial experience and, and kind of try some things out. Um, and it's kind of an, it's kind of a no lose situation because, Ideally, you know, you get some success out of it and the client that you're working with or the person you're working with gets something out of it too. And so as you're starting to think about starting your business or starting your side hustle, I think that's a really great tactic uh, to just sort of put yourself out there a little bit. And then for the first client or two, um, you know, or first handful of clients, even just kind of get your feet wet and, and get some experience under your belt, because then you can go back to them and say, hey, what was your experience like? You know, can I share that with other people who are um, who are asking to work with me? Uh, and then you start to build a client base and you start to build that credibility in that space. So I have, I have a question. I think that's such great advice. Um, so given like, aside from imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. I'm wondering to what degree you're afraid that for kind of lack of a better phrasing, people won't like you. Hmm. So I, I think about this from like, when we buy things from like businesses, like if you buy a couch from like Crate and Barrel, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like personal. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like, yeah. it's like, it's like this corporation, you're buying this thing. And if you don't like it, you're going to post a review and all those kinds of things. But when you're buying a service from another person, like it's a one-on-one -on -one coaching or you're, you're hiring them to speak or something like that. Part of what you're hiring, like, is that person. I mm -hmm. mean, like a big part of it is like that person and their personality and like all those kinds of things. And so I feel like one of my fears is that if people aren't, buying what I'm selling that there's something about me hmm. that is pushing them away I've I've read people who say like basically you should try to repel people as quickly as possible like if they're not the people who should be working with you they need to know as soon as possible so you should be like incredibly strong with your personality like just putting stuff out there because if if it's not a good fit they shouldn't be on your list you know they shouldn't be looking at your blog they shouldn't be whatever but I, you know, like I, that's one of those things that I struggle with sometimes because I'm just like, I have to really force myself to not take it personally when, you know, something doesn't work out or I have like an initial call with someone and they decide not to follow up with the coaching or whatever. Like I have to just say like, this is just not what they needed right now, you know, like, and that's okay. It's not like a personal reflection on who I am, you know, as a person or whatever. So I'm wondering if you have this in your business, because I think you and I do different kinds of things. But so I'm wondering if this is something you ever feel. It's interesting, because I think I used to a little bit. Um, but I, I tend to be, <laughs> this is going to sound awful, but I tend to be much more like, yeah, that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, that sounds, you know, maybe a little more callous than I mean it to. But, uh, you know, I, I take rejection of of the work that I do more about it's more about fit for me I think and in a lot of those cases like like you said it's not the right time for them or it's not you know they didn't 
they didn't jive with my personality and I didn't groove on theirs and that's okay. Like, that's fine. There are other people who, who maybe, you know, can meet that need. I think where I get into trouble is if I get really excited about a project or I get really excited about an opportunity because I want to do it and I think it's going to be a really cool thing. If that doesn't work out, then there's disappointment. But it's not so much about questioning myself as a person and like, oh, they didn't want to work with me because they don't like me. It's more about like, oh, that would have been a super cool opportunity. I'm bummed that I don't get to do that thing. I'm Mm -hmm. bummed that I don't get to be a part of that work because for me, the joy comes in doing the work more than it does in, um, you know, I, I love working with people, but it's not so much even like, oh, this client is the best. And, you know, I connect with them on a personal level. It's more about like the work that they're doing is so cool and I want to be a part of it. Right. I want to make it better. And so I feel like in those times where, you know, I'll have a meeting with somebody and then it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. It's not so much a personal affront to me or I don't I don't take it on that way. Um, but there is disappointment if I'm really excited about the work that I could have been able to do, you know, that I would have been able mm-hmm. to do had it worked out. And so for me, it's more about that, you know, not that they're rejecting my work, but like, oh, I could have done this thing and it would have been awesome. And oh, I don't get to do that now. <laughs> I think this is where fear is really personal to people. Like I'm really, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to hear from listeners about this too. Like what are the things, because I think that in my day-to-day life, I'm certainly not like, oh my God, I have to perform in such a way that everybody likes me. Right, right. There's definitely a part of me that's doing exactly what you're doing, which is like, it's their problem. Like (laughs) it's, you know, I'm fine. And I'm pretty secure in who I am and you know, all those things. However, there is this kind of kernel of, you know, I think that kind of deep down, I'm going to get like real deep here with our listeners. I think deep down, I I don't think I'm a likable person. And so I do feel like there's a certain extent to, you know, like that's where the fear is rooted in. Because mm-hmm. as someone who is introverted, first of all, and who is who struggles with emotional intelligence. So like, I mean, it's hard for me to interact with people on an emotional level. Like I have to really think about it. Um, and, you know, like, if you invite me out, I, I would so much rather be home reading a book right. by myself. You know, like it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I am that person. I am not a social person. And now in coaching relationships, that is where I thrive because mm. that one-on-one, you know, mm-hmm. like that as an introvert, like, so, but I think that there is this like deeply rooted concern I have that's like, if you really knew who I was, you'd not like me because I'm like this, like emotionally stunted, whatever, <laughs> you know, like it's hard for me to connect with other people. Um, now, you know, logically and whatever, like I can look at that and be like, this is, you're overblowing it, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and, but that's, that's, I think every one of us has that thing mm-hmm. that's like, you know, we, we think it about ourselves. It's probably not true, you know, mm-hmm. but it's still where a fear is growing out of Yeah, that, you know, and, and I think that those are the things you have to watch out for the most because they're the most, they can grow into like huge illogical things that are not true. And you can't let that drive your business. Um, And also you have to some degree, like you have to really be yourself and you can't be trying to hide stuff, which is why I talk about stuff like emotional intelligence in my podcast and other places. Like I'm not, not telling people that I've Mm -hmm. got this thing, you know, like it's definitely part of who I am as a professional. Um, so anyway, I just, I think it's interesting and I'm, I'm curious for our listeners, what's that thing, that deeply rooted thing that you're like almost afraid to believe about yourself, you know, and it's impacting your business. Yeah. 
It's really true. Well, first of all, I will say that uh, what you describe about yourself is not at all the experience that I have had with you, having had, you know, a fair fair number of hours of conversation with you at this point. Like, I don't, I don't find you unlikable at all. So I, I well, understand nice that. Well, that's nice to hear. I, it's, I hide it so well, Sarah. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you have this perfectly constructed facade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but I know, I know the feeling. There, there are certain things that are deeply rooted. And if you go back and look at, like, how you grew up and the experiences that you had and all of those kinds of things, you start to recognize where the neuroses come from. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of my, my deeply rooted fear, as I sort of expressed early on, is this sort of irrational fear that somehow I'm going to completely fail myself and let everybody that I care about down by not being able to keep it all together. And I, I, I'm not even sure exactly where all of that comes from, but it's definitely been rooted, I think, in in this expectation, these these really somewhat ridiculous expectations, frankly, that I have of myself and of my work that um, that are, you know, so, that sometimes manifest in really unhealthy ways. And um, I, I definitely have to kind of keep an eye on that and think about like, okay, but what's really important here, right? Like, is it more important that you check that thing off your list or is it more important that you spend time with your dogs and like have fun with friends and like, what are you going to remember at the end of life kind of, kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. for me, that fear of, you know, but if I don't go, if I don't do this thing and if I'm, I'm not, you know, working and doing, you know, struggling with all of this, that, that somehow that's a failure. Um, I'm not exactly, you know, I can't put my finger on exactly what causes that or where that comes from. But I think you're right. I think it's deeply rooted. And I think it's something about how I see myself and perceive myself as a as a professional woman. Yeah, when I talk with other um, academic professionals who are doing this kind of work on the side or who are trying to do small businesses, I actually see this fear come out a lot in around money. Mm. And like a lot of people have, and I don't have this myself, but I feel like I've grown out of this, I guess. Maybe I had it in the beginning, Um, but people who grow up, and I think you're so right on about like, this is so rooted in like childhood and, and other experiences you've had in your life. Like there are a lot of people who do not think that they're worthy of the kind of value that they might assign to their services, yep. you know, or they've like capped what they could charge, for yep. example. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and, true. <laughs> and if there's any kind of pushback, like if you say, this is what I'm charging and people are like, oh, that's a lot, you know, like, and, and I've gotten to the point where I've had that happen, you know, like mm-hmm. I've said, like, this is my base price. And they're like, oh, that's way out of our budget. And I'm like, okay, well, that's my base price. Yep. You know, like, I just, I don't, I, I feel very confident in what I'm charging and what my time is worth at this point in my career. And it's gone up over time and whatever. Um, but I think that when I talk with other people, that is one of those little like core things where they're just like, I do not think I'm worth this. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that they tell themselves and it really caps what they can do in their business because, you know, even when I think about like, what would it mean to be successful in my business? I don't think about, oh, half a million dollars a year. Like mm-hmm. that's not the number that's in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've already capped myself by not saying I want to have, you know, whatever, like this huge revenue stream. Um, I, what do you think about that? Is that something that you struggle with? It's something that, that I seen? definitely see, um, in, in other academics, especially academics that I talk to. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the academic system and how much of that has to do with the, the, you know, kind of 
type of person who goes into academia. I'm not really sure, you know, to try to figure out where all that comes from. But I think you're right that one of the things that uh, that I see a lot is this question of like, oh, but how could I ever ask for that amount of money or that, you know, particular arrangement? Um, And I do think some of that is rooted in the academic environment because you're sort of expected in some, at least in like the research world, you're kind of expected to work all the time (laughs) for whatever. Well, and to do a lot of things for free. Exactly. And do a lot of things for a pittance salary. And so when you kind of break out of that and get into side hustles or get into your own business, that's a totally different landscape. And um, it's interesting uh, having conversations with potential clients in academic institutions and in academic environments, because sometimes they don't have a clue about what the going rate is for hiring a consultant to come in on a project. I had a conversation, um, you know, several months ago about that. And the, the budget range that they had allocated for this particular project was so so insultingly low that I just, I was like, I can't, I don't even know if I can keep a straight, straight face right now. Like you have no concept of what this is actually worth in the open market. And so I think there's sometimes a disconnect in the academic world, um, just in the, in the nature of how funding happens and how people get paid to do work, um, whether that's developing courses or teaching or, you know, doing research assistantships or those sorts of things. Uh, and so when, when it comes to making that jump to the outside world, we tend to undervalue ourselves and, and undervalue the amount of, um, the amount of work that we do and the, the, um, the value of that work uh, in the open market and to clients who are outside of academia. I think this is one of the questions I get the most, and it's why I've addressed it several times on um, my other podcast, You've Got This, and we can link to those episodes in the show notes about like how I price things, how I talk with clients about money, mm-hmm. um, because I think that there's so many ways to do it systematically to kind of take away some of the fear. And one of the ones I've heard that I really like, um, and I don't know if he still does this, but there's a creative entrepreneur, Paul Jarvis, and he talked about something along the lines of like when he's booked out six months in advance, he raises his pricing by 15%. Hmm. You know, like he knows that there's something, you know, like once he hits that, you know, and and he's got a lot of people coming in, he knows there's, he may be undervaluing his work. Hmm. Um, And I think that we don't always think about how over time, you know, you write more books or you do more things or you get more experience or your portfolio grows. Like, their, your value needs to increase with that. Mm-hmm. And our value, I think, in a lot of positions, and maybe tenure track positions are a good example of this, like when you get a promotion, you know, you go to, from assistant to associate or associate to full, some institutions, you don't get much nope. financially for that, you nope. know, and so we don't associate like financial growth with our increase in experience and value. And I think that in a small business, you have to be thinking about that quite a bit, you know, mm-hmm. like that when you write a new book, like you have, that's something that should be increasing your value. Yep. And anyway, I, so that's one of those areas of fear where I feel like I just kind of force myself through it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't experience a lot of fear around that anymore. And I think part of it is because when people want to hire me, I don't have to say yes. Yep. And you know, like I'm in a position where I can turn work away and I know not everyone is in that position Um, but because I have full-time work, you know, I, if someone is not valuing me at the level I want to be valued, I can just say like, no, 
Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, I'm not accepting that job. And, and, and I've had that situation where I've said no, and I I don't like, I'm not nasty about it. I do it very politely, but I just say like, you know, I, I can't, for example, travel to the East coast for four days for Mm -hmm. $2,000. Nope. Like, I can't do that. I can't take the vacation time, the amount of, you know, investment it would be in my time to create the materials you want and not to mention the time actually facilitating and doing the work you want me to do. Um, But I'll say like, now you know my pricing. And if in the future you have a budget that accommodates that, I would love to work with you. And I have had people come back to me and Mm -hmm. say, we have a budget now that we can work with you and we want to bring you out. Like, it's, it's a long-term game of mm-hmm. kind of thinking about this, you know, in terms of how you're in, engaging with your clients. And I think that, that that goes back to the fear I was talking about, about wanting to make sure people like you because people do circle back. You mm-hmm. know, like you never want to burn a bridge. You never want to create a situation where someone doesn't feel like they wouldn't want to work with you because you never know when they may meet, they might need to. Right, right. And I I certainly agree with that. And I think it's that almost has more to do with um, liking you professionally more even than personally. And I think I think sometimes we conflate the two. um, And it can feel really personal because we literally are our businesses. (laughs) Our businesses would not exist without us. That's that's an incredibly difficult. I'm so glad you said that. Like, that's a very that's an aha moment. Because I think it's very difficult when you're in a business where you are selling to some degree, you, Mm -hmm. you know, like as a speaker, as a coach, whatever it might be, like that gets conflated so easily. And it can also feel like there, and this is maybe a topic for a whole other podcast, but this idea of where are those boundaries between what you share and what you don't. Uh, And I think, you know, you know, you and I are talking a little bit about that um, with respect to this podcast too. Like what, what are we willing to share about our businesses and what's too personal? And there are certain things that, that, you know, I want to hold on to and not share with the world because they are important to me. But does that make it, you know, does that make it harder for people to connect with me because I'm not willing to share that? And so where is that personal and professional boundary, especially in cases where you're selling yourself quite literally, like it, it can feel a little gross sometimes, because, you know, you put yourself out there and, and in a presentation, you know, make a make a joke or, or share a personal story, and then that's out there in the world, and you can't take that back. And so I think that's another issue that I that I sometimes struggle with. Um, and and maybe a fear comes in about what, what do I share? And am I sharing too much or not enough? And finding that balance, I think is different for everybody. Yeah, I definitely struggle with that as well. And I think what you just said about having people connect with you. Mm -hmm. I think that's a better way of describing what I was talking about earlier. It's not really about people liking me or not. Mm -hmm. It's about whether or not they feel that they can connect with me. Yeah. And whether or not I am putting enough out there that they can, they can kind of have something to hold on to. And my default, and this is especially true on social media. So I, I recently went through an experience where, um, someone in my family passed away and on social media, everyone else in my family was posting all this stuff about it. And I was like, I am never posting about this on social media ever. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just not, that is a clear boundary for me. It is just like, I do not go to social media to get support in in those kinds of situations, but other people do. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I don't care if that causes you to not like me, right. you know, that I'm not <laughs> right. engaging in social media on that way. Like that is such a hard and fast rule for me to not do that. And it's just, it's so uncomfortable for me to even think about it. Um, but it's that kind of thing that it's like, we all have different ways of, 
emoting and mm-hmm. putting stuff out there and, and what our boundaries are. And it does impact how people see you. And I think that it's, it's not the stuff that's easy for you to make the decisions on, you know, like in that case, it's like, I don't care how yeah. you think, what you think about it, but it's the stuff that's a little more gray that it's mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe I should be posting about this more, or maybe I need to be a little more personal with people. Like it's, it's, and that I just see as kind of personal and professional development, you know, yeah. where you're trying to figure out who you are as a professional and what does it mean to people, you know, to have you engage with them in those spaces. Um, and that's just constantly under development. I don't think you ever like are done. <laughs> you mean we haven't arrived? We have yeah, not, I wish. <laughs> we are not just there. <laughs> if I could just push a button and, and arrive <laughs> in that space, yeah, I, no would, kidding. I would do that. But, you know, I think it's, and, and maybe that's another interesting way to kind of, to some degree, kind of close out our conversation about fear is that fears change and develop over time. Oh, yeah. You know, like you get over certain things, you do something enough that you feel comfortable with it. Like someone was asking me the other day, are you ever afraid to do public speaking? And I was like, yeah, I get, you know, anxious every now and then, but I don't have the fear that other people have. I've Mm -hmm. just done it too much. And I know, I know my stuff and I feel confident doing it. And I, I know how people are going to react and I know that it's helpful to people and that's worth it to me to kind of get out there and do that. And I just, I'm confident as a public speaker. I'm, I'm, I have that. That's a privilege I have. It's a skill I've worked on for a long time. Um, but I, it wasn't always that way, you know, mm-hmm. like, so these things kind of shift and change over time. And I think it's useful to kind of think about and reflect on what are you afraid of now? Come back to that a year from now. You know, mm-hmm. what are the new fears that have cropped up? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and I was actually just reflecting that I really wish that two years, two, three years ago, Sarah could hear this conversation <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I think about where I was a couple of years ago with a lot of this stuff. And there was a lot of fear around things like pricing and around things like, am I really worth this amount of money? And like, I thought I was, but did I have any proof that I was? No. And so, so to hear this conversation now and be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to get to that place where I feel confident public speaking. Like you said, I feel confident asking for what, what I'm worth. You know, I'm okay turning down clients if I need to, because my time is more valuable than that. And And those were things I couldn't have said two to three years ago, but now I have different fears. And so, you know, I hope, like you said, I can come back in a couple of years and and maybe listen to this podcast and be like, oh yeah, that was nice. Now I have this whole new set of fears, (laughs) but you know, like it's a, it's a constant journey. And I think, uh, you know, reminding our listeners of that too, that where you are now is not where you're always going to be and you will keep learning and growing. and, And it's part of the process. It's scary and uncomfortable and there's fear associated with it, but that's okay. Well, and I think we have to talk about it too, like we are in this episode, because I'm sure you and I, to some degree, will have a little vulnerability hangover, as Brittany Brown calls it, <laughs> after this episode airs and, and people are hearing about all of our fears. And, and also, I think what's funny is like, what is so like deeply rooted as a fear to you, other people are like, yeah, that's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, like, I, it's just so funny how we all perceive these things. But um, all right, let's shift into our resource resources that we want to recommend to people as we close out this episode. What is your resource, Sarah, that you want to recommend? Well, my resource this week is totally practical and exactly what I need, which is to go for a walk. Uh, I'm actually being serious. Uh, this week, as I mentioned early on in the in the podcast or the last couple of weeks, have been really 
hard for me in in around balance and around making sure that I'm taking time for me and, you know, taking my dogs for a walk and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I don't have a book resource or a web resource this week. To me, this week and this for this podcast, it's go and take a walk and think about where you are and where you've been and where you're going next and, you know, how you can take the world by storm. I don't know. That just feels really important to me right now. So I have a question about your walking. When you're walking, are you like listening to a podcast? Are you, or is it just like, I need to just have time alone with my brain thinking about things or do you do kind of both? What, what are you doing? Yeah, it depends. Um, sometimes I'll listen to a podcast, but usually when I'm listening to a podcast while I'm walking, it's something totally ridiculous that I, that is not related at all to my professional life. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely break time for me. Um, and I do that on runs too. Um, but other times I just need to walk and let my brain wander and do whatever it needs to do. You know, chances are it's chewing on something and to just have that, that time and space to, uh, allow my brain to, really work through whatever it needs to. I find swimming is great for that too, because you can't really listen to stuff unless you have those underwater headphones, which I don't. Um, And so just kind of the rhythm of walking or the rhythm of swimming allows my brain to kind of just go where it needs to. And I find I feel way better at the end um, because it's kind of chewed on and worked through some stuff that it needed to. And that when I spend so much of my time focused on very specific things, I don't have that freedom to kind of daydream and let my brain go. And um, so that's why I I think walks or other exercise for me is so important, because it gives me that time and space. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. All right. So my resource this week is a, a little video that I found online, actually, that I really liked. It's Debbie Millman talking about how good things take time. And we will link to this in the show notes because I'm not sure I've got the title exactly right. Um, but this is on 99U's website, um, which is an organization that hosts conferences. They have videos, other resources. They put out a, a print magazine that's really beautiful. Um, and Debbie Millman is a designer. She actually has uh, her own podcast, Design Matters, which um, I've listened to a little bit and it, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But in this this video, she kind of talks about how when you're in the moment of something, you don't always quite know where things are going and why, you know, something is happening the way that it's happening. Mm. You know, what is the purpose of that thing? And not to get like too woo woo, like, you know, the universe is aligning things in your life or whatever, but just this general idea of like, it's really hard, I think, sometimes to step outside of a situation and see the long term, you know, goal or the mm-hmm. impact or where you're headed or in, and now I think and we, we probably actually talk about this a lot on the show where you know, like you even just said a couple of years ago, you know, you wish you could have heard this episode. I think that we don't always look back and say, wow, that really came together in a good way that impacted something I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about, you know, like, I got a random email and they asked me if I had a book manuscript and that resulted in me publishing my first book. You know, like, it's just, you don't always know the constellation of things that are going to bring something about. So, but I appreciate what Debbie Millman says in this video, which is basically like, you know, when you do the work and you do good work consistently, it will add up to something Mm -hmm. and you don't always know what that thing will be, but it could be something like really amazing that you could not have imagined. 
And I just love that message. I think that it's, especially as we're all kind of slogging along in our, our little businesses and you and I have talked about kind of all the little administrative things we have to do. And like, you know, it doesn't always feel, you know, like, wow, I'm a rock star businesswoman, you know, like, um, but we're doing these, we're kind of laying the groundwork for mm -hmm. very cool things that are going to happen in the future that we can't even envision yet. So um, we will link to that in the show notes. And um, I want to thank our listeners for checking in on this episode of Academic Gig. And um, I hope that you'll share with us. You can go to the academicgig.com website to be in contact with Sarah and I and share some of your biggest fears. Of course, we want to hear all about them. And uh, we would love to support you as you're working through them. But thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Academic Gig podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and heard something useful that you can apply in your own business. Show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript are available at academicgig.com. There, you can also sign up for our email list and receive over 100 great resources for recommended books, blog posts, and podcasts for the academic creative, freelancer, and entrepreneur that you won't want to miss. You can connect with us on Twitter at academicgig, or you can also find Sarah at Dr. Langworthy and Katie at Katie double underscore Linder. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation about this episode. There are several other ways to connect with the Academic Gig podcast. Visit the website to post a comment about a specific episode, suggest a future topic, or ask a question that could be featured on a future Q&A episode. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and helps others find the show. And as always, thanks for listening.